Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying, dot com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well. And you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I am excited to have as my guest, Hazel Grace Yates. Hazel Grace has a doctorate in human sexuality and is a somatic sex educator, a trauma-informed practitioner, and a sex and relationship coach. Her purpose is to end global toxic sexual shame and exalt pleasure. Yay for that. Welcome to the show, Hazel Grace. Thank you, Sumati. I'm happy to be here. So glad to have you. So how did, how did you end up becoming a sexuality educator and coach? Mm-hmm. <sighs> My journey began as a young child in Texas where growing up sexuality was not talked about and a lot of the not talked about I got that it was bad, dirty, wrong, and shameful and my first sexual experience was, was not by choice. I was a teenager. And I, from that age, when I was about 16 years old, I just shut that whole part of myself down because I didn't know it was an important part of me and it was painful until I went to Burning Man. <laughs> and um, I was 29 years old. And I discovered my clitoris for the first time, and I had this profound healing and awakening. And I you discovered your clitoris like became... at Burning Man. <laughs> uh huh. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. What a great story. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, at Orgasmic Meditation. Oh, and... nice. Mhm. And it was it was like it was like. I was turned on for the first time, not turned on sexually, but just like my whole vitality, my whole empowerment, my whole, like my whole self felt welcomed here on the planet. Like my whole womanness Mm. was welcomed. And Mm. it was, I didn't realize that getting my sexuality online would, would allow me to be so full, full and alive. Mm -hmm. And so when I realized what a profound difference it was from what my life was before that experience, then uh, I set out to be a support and an educator for those who were like me, who might've had the similar um, upbringing that I did and, or um, experienced sexual abuse in their past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then you ended up getting a doctorate. Did you, what was your, um, undergrad work in (laughs) my undergrad is has nothing to do with sexuality Uh, my undergraduate is in uh, therapeutic recreation so working with people with disabilities and then Uh my master's degree is teaching blind people how to use a cane from point and travel from point a to point b safely Mm -hmm. and the link between all the degrees is i'm helping people and i'm actually Mm -hmm. helping people see 
what they can't see before and have the freedom that they haven't had before. It just looks a little mm-hmm. different. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And then um, since we like to focus on open relationships and polyamory on this show, um, can you share with us what your relationship, your personal relationship is with that? If you, you know, what kind of relationship style do you practice? Mm-hmm. I, I, I heard and learned of the word polyamory when I was about 24 or 25 and it was like I didn't know that was an option and as soon as they said that it was just so clear in every cell of my body I was that's me that's who I am that's who I've been and I didn't know that it existed and I didn't know that it was possible and there was no turning back just because I knew who who I am what is polyamory and so mm. my current my <laughs> Currently, um, I do identify as polyamorous, and I I like to practice non-hierarchical relationships, mm-hmm. and which is really interesting at the same time because there is someone who is significant currently in my life, um, and and I have multiple lovers as well, um, and it, you know what it is, it's my relationship to polyamory is is it's in flow and it's in flux all the time. And I have such celebration and acceptance for exactly what my polyamory, polyamory looks like at any given time. Beautiful. I've been hearing so much lately. Maybe it's just because the people that I tend to talk to are, are people that are pretty committed to polyamory. But I've been hearing so much about non-hierarchical, people that are practicing non, non-hierarchy. Um, and I was talking mm-hmm. to a potential client today about cautioning him against using the word primary or or telling his partner that she's his primary because as he evolves and begins to practice polyamory more he may not want to commit to that word because it it just kind of implies that the other people that you love are less important and it's kind of disrespectful how do you feel about that word primary partner the shift came for me I was using primary partner in a relationship and it mm-hmm. was with another man. And then when this woman came into our relationship, we'll call her Sarah. Um, Sarah had a really difficult time because she didn't feel included because there was this term primary. And the truth mm-hmm. is that my partner at the time was actually um, feeling more connected and wanting to spend more time with her. And so there was this like reality check of like what's actually happening here is there's more energy flow happening for him and for Sarah than for me mm-hmm. and for him. And so mm-hmm. we, and it took a lot of courage because I was scared. I was scared if I lost that title, then I would lose something, but I was mm-hmm. more committed to the truth of what it was. And so we shifted it and we just created that we were in relationship together, even though we were kind of in a V, not necessarily a, a true triad per se. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to share with you. I recently, I've been, tr- I have been attempting to create a new label list label around polyamory. And I've come up with something that I'm super excited. This is like, I created it nice. last week. Uh, and I can't wait. Is, Drum roll because I'm really against labels. Okay, yes. To hear it. Drum, Drum roll. roll it's a label, <laughs> not label. Um, so, <laughs> 
I'm like trying to decide if I should say people's names or not. So that's what I'm noticing. Um, so we'll just we'll just make up a, a man's name. So if if I am in relating with um, this guy named John, to say so who John is is the other half of our we. Mm. I love that. The other half of our we, which does not include any possessive language like mine. Uh-huh. And it's just Beautiful. true. The, and, 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 and the fun part for me is actually, you can actually say this about anyone, right? Because I could actually say that about you. You are the other half of our we. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I'm having fun so, with it. So <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. I just recently transitioned a long-term relationship to we love each other as much as we've ever loved each other, if not more, but it's platonic and we have other activities that we, deep activities that we share that we're partnered in. But our friends, they just want to know, are you, are you having sex? Like. <laughs> It's just so important to them to know if we're still having sex or not, you know, but we still love each other and we talk on the phone almost every day and we're partnered in many activities and we made a choice that that one piece of our relationship wasn't a win for us right now. But isn't it interesting how Mm -hmm. people can be really nosy about that? They just want to know, like, how are you relating to that person? So if, if you tell somebody John is the other half of our we, I mean, wouldn't you still get that pushback around what does that mean? Are you lovers, you know? Yeah, I mean, I imagine it it will. And to me, the most important thing is how do I respond or react to that? Mm -hmm. Can I have grace with whatever question they might have? And it's interesting that you say that because I actually have that same kind of relationship uh, with a past we were sexual lover and partners in life. And we've transitioned into platonic lifetime, lifetime best friend, family people. And there's like, it's like, it's so, right. it's, it's so fun to have limitless possibilities of what relationships can be. And yes, I do mm-hmm. get what you're saying that there is this uh, central focus point of, but are you having sex? Mm-hmm. Which is, it, I, I think it is, um, I think where we are culturally, there's still so much connection to sexuality equals relationship. Yes. And 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 many people think of the term polyamory, they equate it with swinging. They just think polyamory means that you're having sex with lots of people and you're totally promiscuous, but not necessarily. There's a lot of asexual mm -hmm. people who consider themselves polyamorous. Yes, absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. It was a nice uh, tangent we went off on there. <laughs> um, so, you know, you said something about if I lose that title, I might lose something when you gave up the mm. term primary. And you talked about this other woman in your um, in your V, and you just mm-hmm. noticed that they had a kind of, the energy was more with them than with you and this other person. And that, that mm-hmm. takes a a really highly evolved person on, the, on an emotional level to be able to move through that. Ha, have you always been able to handle that really well? Like, let's talk about the J word, jealousy, and what's been your journey with yeah. jealousy? Yeah. So the answer to that question was that was not easy. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was not easy. I have a lot of appreciation and gratitude that somehow in this lifetime, for whatever reason, I actually have a lot, an easy time with compersion, and I've had very mm-hmm. little jealousy. And so polyamory, for the most part, has been easeful for me in that particular way. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, you know, as a sex and intimacy coach and relationship coach, this comes up. And so I had many years ago, I had this thought, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to coach someone through jealousy if I don't actually experience it myself. And Mm -hmm. then lo and behold, I experienced jealousy. (laughs) And it was such a painful experience. I, I, I thought to myself, whoa, this is what people have been talking about. This is what they're experiencing. And it, and it felt like I was going to die. It was so mm-hmm. intense. I was so in love and I was so connected to my partner. And when I found out that he was falling in love with my best friend and I had been gone for a week and this was all like in agreement and there was, there was no breaking of boundaries. There was no, um, you know, betrayal or there was no cheating or lying or anything like that. I I just Mm -hmm. wasn't anticipating it, expecting it. And I was happened to be also in a really emotionally raw state. So it was just Mm -hmm. like the perfect storm for me just to get totally sideswiped. And, and so I did this and I, I still don't know how I did this, but I did this amazing process with myself and like totally allowed myself to feel into the, the the physical somatic pain in my belly and get curious about what was I really afraid of. So I was asking mm-hmm. myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen in this situation is that we would end our re- current relationship. I would end my relationship mm-hmm. with this man. Mm-hmm. And What's the worst thing that could happen? What was, what's the worst thing that would happen with that? Is I would feel a lot of pain and I would feel mm-hmm. a lot of grief. And there's also this really interesting thing about grief: that the level of grief is actually the level of connection and joy. And so there's actually been some times where I've actually been able to feel the pleasure of grief because I love that much and I love that deeply. Mm. So when I when I was able to allow myself to feel the worst thing that was going to happen was to, that I was going to feel pain. I, I can handle feeling grief. I can handle feeling that pain. And then what I did was this, in my mind, I like imagined myself zooming into, uh, her name was Emily. She's still a very dear friend of mine. I zoomed into Emily as if I was like imagining myself being Emily, looking at him. And then it just, and then I was able to feel the compersion because I thought to myself, mm. well, of course she would feel in love with him. I know what it's like to be loved by this man. Mm. And of course she would feel that. And then I was able to zoom back out and see them looking at one another. And I just had this like rush of joy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so th- that lesson of w- w- how I was able to transmit that, that jealousy into compersion continues to be a practice of mine that I just do on my own. And so, 
so when it happens, I can, I can do that, that process pretty quickly. And then what, what happened when this other person came in and I, you know, we discombobulated the primary relationship structure, what, what I had to get connected to was what's most true and what's most real and what's most honest here. What's most real and honest is that he's wanting to spend more time with her and there's an, mm-hmm. a shift and an energy. And if I were to try and resist that, if I were to try and not want that to happen, to me that's not the, the highest expression of love. The highest expression of love as far as I know it is I love him so much that I want what's what's mo- what's best and most fulfilling for him, and that's my commitment to love. And if that looks like me stepping out and moving away from the relationship, that's what I'm committed to, and that's what we had vows, and that's what um, we got spiritually married. We called it married for now, <laughs> and that was part of our vows. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it was really um, painful and uncomfortable and the the reason that the three of us could have so much health in in our in our relationship was our commitment to own our experience so there was never blaming of the pain i owned all of that pain it was mine it was my grief to mm-hmm. feel it was my fear to feel and i let her that she the woman that came into our relationship know that even though i'm feeling a lot of pain it's not your fault and I'm not blaming you mm-hmm. and it's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being such an awesome role model of that process because our default culture is, you know, don't you dare, you know, look at that other person or don't you dare go outside this marriage. And then we have these long-term marriages that are constrained and sexless because they're trying to control their partner's flow of love and, sexual energy and you know whatever happened mm-hmm. to that great poem that that great um saying um if you love something set it free if it was meant to return to you mm-hmm. it will if it doesn't it never was mm-hmm. and everyone believes mm-hmm. in that philosophically but how few people mm-hmm. actually practice that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i i am grateful i'm reminded of i have a 13 year relationship like that where he's been in my life for 13 years and I'll go visit him and we'll be in love and have this weekend together. And then it's time for me to leave. And and consistently he's like, you are meant to be free. And if you come back to me, I I'll cherish every moment we have together. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I feel fortunate that I've had so many loves in my life and I've gotten to experience that like in both directions with being able to provide that and give that and also to receive that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So I'm thinking back to, you know, er, early years of, of my practicing non-monogamy um, when I would get so triggered that even though in my head I totally understood all these things you were saying, my emotions mm. took control. And I have a history of addictive self-destructive behavior. And so if I got too triggered, I would go into the self-abuse mode. So I was afraid for a long time of triggering myself, and I just avoided relationships um, until I was mm. able to do a lot of work around that and find a, a mode of relating and a style of non-monogamy that worked for me because of my history. Um, now, I know that you have had an experience of 
non-consensual sex in the past? Um, mm-hmm. And do you work with people who have who overcome sexual abuse? Can people like that who have deep trauma, deep sexual trauma like that, can they work with their emotions to actually become polyamorous? Yes. Yes, I work with individuals who've experienced trauma in their past. And yes, I do believe that that if there is someone who desires to have a polyamorous lifestyle and the thing that they imagine is in the way of that is from trauma, that our bodies are so resilient and our minds are so fan- amazing um, that I do, I do believe that we can recover from, from traumas. Um, I feel really, <sighs> I, I have just so much gratitude for the support that has shown up in my life, the teachers who've shown up in my life, and that I've been committed to doing all the different types of therapies which I've done, which I have done many. It didn't come overnight, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I feel grateful to have had as many resources as I've had, including Burning Man, which was mm-hmm. a wild a wild place to have a, a sexual awakening. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think, you know, the, the, the work that I focus on, somatic sex education and the trauma-informed training that I have is so much about what is happening on the somatic emotional level. Um, that's where I believe that we actually get to experience our freedom mm-hmm. is being able to allow ourselves to feel the fullness of whatever's there as long mm-hmm. as we have enough support or resources and safety for us to feel that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a lot, like, a little bit of like how I work with people is creating safe space for them to feel the feelings to the depth of their feelings. And oftentimes that's when we actually can release that feelings or unwind those triggers that we used to have, um, or mm-hmm. at least um, know our bodies well enough to know what our triggers are. So for example, like this is not a sexual or relationship um, correlation, but I have, I've been an overeater. So my addictive personality has been around food and so mm-hmm. I'm really aware of myself where I am in my relationship with food that I know there are certain foods that I don't buy at the grocery store and I don't bring them in the house because I know they're my trigger mm-hmm. foods. And mm-hmm. my relationship to that is I'm okay with that and I don't push myself and I don't make myself wrong. Like, well, why can't I bring potato chips back into the house and make myself wrong? So it's like mm-hmm. knowing your triggers but also accepting where you're at in the process and not making yourself wrong for where you're at in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, I remember um, trying to be more evolved than I was and you know, not wanting to speak up if something was uncomfortable for me in a certain situation, like my partner wanted to date my best friend and I wanted to be really evolved and be like, oh, yes, we're all family. But every time I saw them together, I would just, want the earth to swallow me up and my truth in that moment was I'm not quite ready for this but I had such trouble saying it until it got so bad that I acted out so so I think that's a really important thing and that's why I coach other people to honor your truth about where you are if you have to slow down and you have to acknowledge that you're not your emotions 
would you say that your emotions are a little slower than your mind? Like your mind gets this idea of I can be polyamorous in this way, but the emotions are a little slower and they kind of lag behind. Would you say that's true? Mm-hmm. I, I do think that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do uh, fun exercises of having my body or my emotions or my mind talk to one another, or sometimes I'll have them write letters to one another. Mm-hmm. So I'll have emotion talk to body or body talk to mind or, um, yeah, have a little, have a little choir of <laughs> the team. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's a great little tool. Yeah, knowing. Um, can. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Look, um, I was just gonna say, knowing knowing your triggers and accepting where you are is so important. And I can see the temptation of judging oneself for not being more evolved. Uh, I, I know that whenever I had that first big wave of jealousy, it was uh, it was something that I had never experienced, and I was I was mortified. I was m- so humiliated to even consider the possibility that I might be jealous. <laughs> and it actually took me two days to even be able to consider that that those feelings are were I would call. Jealousy, and although I will, when I talk about jealousy, I also like to talk about what's actually the feeling, because jealousy, to me, is not necessarily a feeling. It's like what's under that. It's usually fear, right, or maybe anger. Um, but mm-hmm. getting to that, I think, is useful. It's like what is the emotion under it? Um, but what mm-hmm. I but what I want to say about um, I mean, it's so tempting to judge ourselves about not being more evolved. And what I want to say is. Mm-hmm. We all have different backgrounds and different lineage, and there's this awesome book out right now that's talking about epigenetics and the lineage trauma and our ancestry trauma about we have no idea of the lifetimes that happened before us that have us either accept, like be okay with jealousy or not. And and reminding ourselves of that and, and um yeah. Anyway, I, I just wanted to throw that out there for the people that are are judging themselves wherever they are at in the spectrum as it relates to to jealousy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to have compassion for ourselves because there could be factors that happen before we are even born that make us more susceptible to um, jealousy and feelings like that. Yes. Totally. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Awesome. So you gave us some several really great tips so far. Do you have any other, um, you know, ideas around like important skills that we can take away with regard to open relating? Mm-hmm. Well, a skill that I'm trying out right now, which is a code journal. So I'm in a, a new relationship with someone and we are journaling together in a in an Evernote journal, and mm-hmm. to what's happening is there's a record of our patterns, a record of what are our breakdowns and what are our breakthroughs, and we have agreements if or when either one of us get to the point where we're both triggered and we can't actually support one another through that trigger that we get outside support or outside resources, whether that's our friend or our therapist or our coach, or even like 
taking some space from one another and processing. Uh, but I'm really excited about this code journal and, and being able to see the history of our relationship because there's so much. I, I relate to relationships as a spiritual practice, and a spiritual practice mm-hmm. to me is a practice that allows us to actually be more free and to be more light and to be, uh, yeah, to have more freedom. And so as we are going through these breakdowns and these breakthroughs, we are continually accessing more freedom both within ourselves and within our we space. And I think journaling together is a really intimate and powerful process to keep a track of, of our learnings. Mm, That's a great idea. So journaling in a shared um, app like Evernote where you can look back and see Mm -hmm. what the patterns are. That's really excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, if the patterns are also us, the celebration. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you right there. Um, okay. I was just going to say, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach, and we're speaking with Hazel Grace Yates, who is a doc- has a doctorate in human sexuality and somatic sex, and she is talking about important skills with open relating, and we were talking about journaling in Evernote with, with your partner um, to look at patterns. And then you were also starting to talk about as well as celebration. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, I, I don't remember this, this specific studies, but Gottman, who's a relationship expert um, researcher talking about, the ratio of the positive experiences and the negative experiences. And I think that when I get into some, some periods where there's a lot of challenge, continual challenge that sometimes I can disconnect or forget or, or lose track of the celebrations and the gratitude. And so the co-journaling is useful for, you know, tracking our patterns and our learnings, but it's also useful for remembering and celebrating the the beauty and the and the and the victories and the and the sweet times and the good times as well. Mm-hmm. And the appreciations, I think, are crucial, don't you? Mm. Oh yeah, appreciations. Yeah, I I. <clears throat> appreciations for me are an aphrodisiac. I'm like, forget this. What is it? Oysters? Like, forget that. Just appreciate me. Of course, it's one of my love languages. I acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But gratitude is such a powerful energy that uh, it, it's it's just heavenly for me. Gratitudes and appreciations. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Any other important skills in open relating that you want to share before we move on? Uh, none that are coming to the surface right now. I, I know that okay, well, for I'm me. I'm sure some more things will come up. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, you have had to overcome quite a bit of trauma from your past. Um, and so as a woman, how have has that trauma manifested in your relationship with your body and um, what has Mm. helped you heal to, to be free with your body, free from sexual shame and to really be able to, like you say, exalt pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The most 
immediate answer that's coming to the surface is who am I surrounding myself with? And the people that I choose to surround myself with are people that I would say are sex positive. And mm-hmm. when I think of sex positivity, I think of the 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 phrase uh, not yucking not yucking my yum and whatever my thing is that they're they're a, a yes to me expressing and exploring what is what is pleasurable to me and not judging me or making it wrong for me so the first for the first step i would say is who i'm surrounded by and who i'm who is my community and yeah who is who's in my immediate um, my immediate field mm-hmm. um Another really powerful thing that I've done in my life is go through sexological bodywork practitioner training. And mm-hmm. in this training, there was, because I, you know, I actually went through the process myself so that I can learn how to become a practitioner of this, this modality. And mm-hmm. the most important part of it was boundaries and me actually getting that this is my body mm-hmm. and and not from like a mental, we were talking about earlier, the mental and the body, right? Not from a mental place, but actually from a physical practice place of mm-hmm. getting to say no or getting to push someone's hand away in a safety practice or or saying yes and making my request. And both both skills are super have been super important to me both saying honoring knowing my boundaries honoring my boundaries and then also it's also equally been important for me to say yes and it's also been equally important for me to ask for pleasure um oh i know i have an amazing story to tell you this actually happened this year which is pretty extraordinary that that like this 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 breakthrough happened as recently as it did. I, so this happened this year. I didn't realize fully how desirable my body was uh, until I, this was back in the day when Craigslist had a section where you could, um, uh, it was the personal section. It doesn't exist anymore. They've taken it down. Uh, And I was in a drought. I really wanted some connection. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I was in a, a, a sexual intimacy drought, and I, it was really scary, and it was bold, and I posted this ad on Craigslist, and and I even t- put the title so that I, I also have genital and oral herpes, and I put that in the title mm-hmm. because it was just an efficient time saver. Like, don't message me unless you're okay with me having oral and genital herpes. So I put this message out, and it said, HSD one to worship my body. Mm. I had 45 men email me within two hours, and they were like, I will worship your body. Please, can I worship your body? And it was this whole post of I was like, this is exactly how it's going to go down. You're going to host. You're going to keep your clothes on. We're going to talk about boundaries. You're going to have candles on. You're going to have the Tantra Pandora radio station on when I get there. You'll have a <laughs> towel on the bed. We're going to use coconut oil. And, uh, and then I'm going to leave. Like, I'm going to come over to your place. You're going to massage my body. And then I'm going to leave. And I want you to worship me. 
<laughs> and and like something flipped in my in my system and and <laughs> I like I thought I was good at receiving before but now when I'm receiving I'm so much more connected after doing that little experiment with myself I'm so much more connected with the pleasure and the joy of my partners mm-hmm. that it's so much easier for me to ask for what I want and for me to ask for, for, for me to receive because I'm, I'm, I'm more connected to the, their pleasure. And mm-hmm. it, the miraculous thing I've noticed is in the last eight months since this experiment, the men who've been showing up for me have been on their own ready to worship me, on their own mm-hmm. ready just to like – drink me in, take their time, breathe me in, look at my whole body and not be rushed, which was not, not the case like a year ago, because there was like an internal shift that happened within me of me getting how worthy I am of being worshiped and what pleasure and joy it brings my partners uh, to Mm -hmm. offer the pleasure of my body with them. Mm. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we can do now, now that that's been taken down from Craigslist. But <laughs> oh, it's but, Double yeah. List. Do- double List is a new website. Oh, Double List. Okay. That's good to know. DoubleList.com? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would warn people to have extreme safety and backup plans. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not mm-hmm. suggesting that people go out and do that because there is inherent risk in what I just shared. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. people that have had trauma or, or something that that might not be the best experiment to try on. Um, mm-hmm. so, so if you are going to do well, that at home, use, use caution. <laughs> yeah. And it, it also makes me think of this Facebook group that a woman created and it's something called, it's some, I forget what the name of it is, but it's something about female-oriented pleasure worshiping, something like that. And the only men that get invited to it are, have been vouched for by another woman in the group. So women can post on this Facebook group, I want to come over and have you massage me with coconut oil and you're going to be playing the Tantra Station on Pandora, la, la, la. Like they can put that on the oh. Facebook group and then the answer are in that group who've already been vouched for. So that's one way to do it. Whoa. <laughs> I want to know about this group. <laughs> well, it's local here in the Bay Area, but you can start one in any city that you're in. <laughs> oh, yes. I love that. Amazing. It's mm-hmm. so great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sisters are taking care of each other. <laughs> so uh-huh. speaking of yes, speaking of men and women, um, I know that mm-hmm. you also work with men and women on the topic of sexual healing and healing the divide <clears throat> between men and women. How did you get into? Mm-hmm. Do, you're doing workshops of some sort, and and how how did that topic yeah, become it's important actually, to you? Mm-hmm. It's actually what I got my Ph. My doctorate in was this process that I created and researched its efficacy and the the process invites men to share their stories around 
what it's like to be them growing up and now as sexual beings as it relates to their body and sexuality and their witness in a in this spirit of compassion and curiosity by women. And then we go to lunch, have a break, and then we switch the roles. And then the women are in this inner circle sharing, and they're surrounded by men holding space as the women share their experiences. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's, it's, if if I, it's the only thing that I have that's actually actually in my will. <laughs> <laughs> it's my legacy. It's the it's my baby. It's the thing that I've created, and I'm so fortunate and honored that I get to travel to different cities and lead this one day uh, transformational workshop. And the story of how it came about is, as you heard my story, I was a woman who was sexually abused. And then when I experienced my sexual awakening, I wanted to help those who were like me. Well, I started off helping women. So I was helping women for many, many years. And then I had this conversation with a a male friend of mine and he was frustrated about a workshop and he's like, it's all about the clit. What about my cock? And I thought that that was a fair question. And so I said, Uh tell me about your cock. What about your cock? And here I am, his friend, this loving, warm spirit I am, and he was frozen, and it it was like this realization that women are not the only ones who are suffering from sexual pain or shame or the collective. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, holy shit, I've mm-hmm. never, ever considered or thought about or been curious about what it's like to be a guy as it relates mm-hmm. to sexuality, as it relates to any pain associated with sex. Cause I was still, you know, healing my stuff. And, and, and so I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have the space enough to care about what men were going through. Cause I was still dealing and healing with my stuff. Mm-hmm. So then I got this message. I'm going to go a little woo woo here for just a moment. I got this message that said the root of human suffering is in male sexual shame. Mm. Like um, okay, so I want to do something about that. And what I did is I I created the fe- the male version of the vagina monologues, and I called it the Cock Project. Mm. So I wanted men to have a voice. I wanted men to hear their stories. I wanted men and women to hear their stories. And so how I went about collecting the men's stories to create the play was I invited men to show up and share their stories. And if women wanted to come witness, they could. They could. Mm-hmm. 80 people showed up, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I was not expecting. Wow. Mm. 50 men showed up and mm. 30 women And the men were there to share their stories and they were Mm. hungry and so generous and so vulnerable and so courageous and so ready and so relieved that someone asked them, what's it like to be you? And that Mm. we as women actually listened to them. And there was a woman at the end of the, and this was like, I was not intending to create a process. I was just intending to create the play, right? But at the end of the workshop or the night of the men sharing, this woman 
got on the microphone and she said, I came in here tonight with a hard heart towards men, thinking you were all the same, thinking you only wanted one thing. And I'm leaving with a soft heart, feeling more connected to men than I ever have in my whole life. And I had no idea how similar we actually are. Wow. Mm. So that... Yeah, that's really beautiful, but I want to I want to just ask you about that download that you got the root in human suffering is male sexual shame. So why male sexual shame and not just all sexual shame? Because of course my first impulse would be, well, women have been the recipients of so much shame and aren't allowed to really express themselves or they'll be called a slut and a whore. And, yeah, sensitive men want to be really sensitive and they kind of shut down their sexuality. But it seems like male privilege has given men the right to do whatever they want with women's bodies, as we can still see with Kavanaugh confirmations. And just today in the news, Mm -hmm. there was a guy that got fined $400 for raping a woman. So how how is it that it's the male sexual shame? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And the first thing that I want to say is hearing this message doesn't mean that that message is the truth. And mm-hmm. the, and I'm also I'm I'm also aware that what I'm saying is is bold and it's a little bit like what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. What I believe is that when people are hurting, they hurt. They hurt themselves mm-hmm. or they hurt others. And I just uh, yeah. got something that I've never gotten before. This is so cool. So the the double standard of the if women have a lot of sex, then they're sluts. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a projection. That's a projection of of it, it's possible. I'm not saying this is this is the truth. I want to be really careful here. I'm not saying that that's the truth. But if I'm I loving what you're saying about, so far. Please keep going. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if I feel really shameful if I'm having sex with lots of people and I think it's in the collective it's bad and wrong to have sex with lots of people, <clears throat> if I project outside of me and say, y'all are sluts, y'all are the wrong mm. ones, y'all are the bad ones, it gets it off yeah. of me and puts it on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we, look at, if we look at who I'm suggesting is hurting right now more in it, there's some evidence to say that men are hurting a lot. There's higher suicide rate. They die younger than women. They're causing more violence. They're at the hand of political mm-hmm. warfare. They are, mm-hmm. they are, um, there's more alcohol and more abuse with men. So I believe mm-hmm. that men are hurting. And I think a big mm-hmm. place that men are hurting is around our sexuality. And I do believe mm-hmm. that sexuality has the potentiality to be one of the most powerful and one of the most blissful experiences in our life. And on the other side of that coin, I think it's the most depthful, painful, darkest, most painful, hurtful place that we can experience. And and I think that there actually is a lot more pain in sexuality in men than is a, than our collective is aware of. And that's part of what this work that I'm doing is 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 inviting the is inviting the curiosity and the and the compassion for what do men go through, not from like mm-hmm. we have it worse or they have it worse, but like we're mm-hmm. in this together. 
we're all mm-hmm. hurting. We're all in mm-hmm. pain. Nobody is getting mm-hmm. out of the pain of it, but let's do it together mm-hmm. and let's like mm. be curious and get to know what our worlds are like. Cause what we find out is we're so much similar. And when we get to that place of like, Oh my gosh, we're, we're the same and we're connected then what do we want to create from here, from that place of our mm. connection as opposed to the place of disconnection? Mm. Yay. Oh, thank you so much for that answer. I just love it so much. I could feel it in every cell of my body. And, yeah, that's my first reaction, <laughs> which I'm sure a lot of people's reaction is, but wait a minute, women are the victims here. But if you look at people who are hurting hurt, then all the evidence points to men hurting very deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think about that book, yeah. Sex at Dawn, where, you know, if his theory holds any weight at all, the author of that book, then men were free to just be satisfying their sexual need and not have to, like, study Tantra and Taoism to try to extend their orgasm and pleasure the woman. They could just get off, and the woman could have 14 lovers that night till she was satisfied, <laughs> you know? And it sounds really, like, pornographic in our current mindset. Mm-hmm. The book really talks about how that's kind of how our bodies are designed, that when, when men have to try really, really hard to slow down. And, and so um, maybe we're not, maybe they're not designed that way. And if we can accept who they really are, and they can accept who they really are for themselves, it frees up mm-hmm. women to also be who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so beautifully articulated. I love it. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, and like you said, it's a dance we do together and support each other. So your workshop allows um, men and women to be seen deeply seen and witnessed mm-hmm. by the other um, and mm-hmm. to feel the similarities and the compassion in that. Sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is awesome, and I'm totally biased. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, no, good for you. I can feel your love and passion for the work. Okay, mm-hmm. so with the last little bit of time we have, um, do you have any other, like, magical, memorable moments in, about being in open relationships you'd like to share? Yes, I do. Um, The first many years, thanks for asking, and this is one of my all-time favorite stories. (laughs) For the first many years of my polyamorous life, I would show up with my partners and be compersive and they would have a lot of jealousy and there would be like, well, if you do that, I feel hurt and I don't want you to do that. La la la. So it was like really unbalanced for many years. And so there was sadness that I couldn't receive the gift that I, I relate to it as being a gift when I show up so spaciously and graciously and compersively. And it was that another story of burning man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and my name at Burning Man was Queen B and I was getting married to now to my then partner Kevin and we were going to have a wedding we're going to get married for now in the morning at the temple and Kevin we had been talking about how I wanted to call in a new partner 
and because he had had another partner. And so I, I wanted someone else also, I wanted another one. And so he knew that that's, that was like something I really, really desired. And that the night before our wedding for now, we went different directions. We did different things. And I met this man and I, who it was this, like the best dance of my whole life is two hour long contact improv dance. And he was like, I want to get you naked. I was like, yes, right away. My tent's right over here. Some of the best sex I've ever had in my whole life that night. And it's three o'clock in the morning. And he, and I name him King B, by the way. He's like, give me a name. I'm like, you're a King B. <laughs> and I turn to him and I say, I would like to invite you to my wedding in the morning. And he was very shocked and said, what? <laughs> and this is three o'clock in the morning and our wedding was at sunrise. And I said, so please go to your tent, which was halfway across the, the playa and get a white outfit and meet us at the temple at, at sunrise. So King B leaves and Kevin comes back. And when I see Kevin, I say, I met him. And he got, and Kevin got so excited for me. And he said, great, what's his name? And I said, it's King B. And he goes, <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> so That's Kevin awesome. and I got on our bikes and we rode out to the temple and I had this, this like tension in my belly. Like, is he going to be there? Is he going to be there? Kevin and I are holding hands, walking towards the center of the temple and King B was standing in the middle with his white outfit on very regally and just this beautiful, beautiful man. And Mm. Kevin, as we get closer, Kevin drops my hand and King B and Kevin hug one another without words Mm. and they have like this long long beautiful brother loving hug Mm. and it was like the gift I had been wanting for so many years (laughs) wow that is so amazing Yeah, we had the ceremony and King B was there. And then to top it all off, if that wasn't good enough, if it wasn't beautiful enough, Kevin said, uh, what I would like to offer you tonight is you two can have the tent and I'll find somewhere else to sleep so that you can have this night together. <laughs> wow. Mm. That's incredible. <laughs> and so on your wedding night, you spent it with your new lover. <laughs> Yes, I did. Well, and it was partly because this guy lived in Australia, and yeah, you know, I lived at home with my my partner, so we could, you know, right, right, right. Yeah, it's very generous of him. Mm, that's incredible. Beautiful story. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thank you. It kind yeah. of remind, reminds me reminds me a little bit of going to my friend's wedding. He and his wife are extremely polyamorous, and we went through all of the normal family um, reception after the wedding and all the boring stuff. And then they had a play party afterwards at their house. Whoa, and a play party we on were wedding all, night. <laughs> yeah. And so we had about, I don't know, 20, 30 people in their house and we, you know, play was ensuing. And I overheard the groom say, wait, I want to make love to my wife first. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, we really, really enjoyed our conversation tonight, Hazel Grace. Thank you so much for your incredibly beautiful personality and your stories and your wisdom. Uh, really, mm. really appreciate who you've become in your life and what you're sharing in the world. So I, I bow to you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Oh, so beautiful. I appreciate that. <laughs> And um, please tell our listeners how they can reach you if they'd like to connect with you. And I believe you have a, an offer or a gift for them. Yes. So if anyone wants to know about my events or what it looks like to work with me, you can go to my website, which is hazelgraceyates.com. And I do one-on-one coaching sessions from afar and in Austin, Texas. And if anyone has – I work with individuals and couples – Anywhere in the realm of sexuality and relationship, going from I work with people who are feeling disconnected from their sex, disconnected from their partners, disconnected from their bodies, disconnected from their desires, who want to feel pleasure, who want to feel freedom, who want to feel empowerment. Uh, Those are the people that I work with. And if, if you have a desire to work with me, I do offer a free 45-minute discovery session, which you can schedule yourself just on my website. And you can check out the events that are coming to your area. And if anyone ever wants to produce the Healing the Divide in their city, I do travel. So let me know if you want me to bring Healing the Divide to your city. Beautiful. Thank you so much. All right, well, thanks again for being on the show, and I wish you all the best with your work in the world. Thank you so much, and thank you for your beautiful work and more loving and yes, 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 more please. (laughs) Okay, good night, my friend. Good night. Good night. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we will be speaking with, oops, I lost the window where I had her name. It's right here. (laughs) Um, Next week, we'll be speaking with Liana Walden, who is a very um, interesting gal. She, she's studied um, not just Tantra, but um, all kinds of other Asian spiritualities. And she travels the world visiting ashrams and learning about Um, spiritual sexual traditions and she brings that into her teaching and her work so please join us next week at 6 p.m on leading edge love radio this has been your host sumati sparks and you can find me at sumatisparks.com good night everyone